We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth. The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So it be. You know how much I sacrifice? You think that's air you're breathing? Groovy. I don't have friends. I got family. We services hey trent hey Porth. how's it going pretty good what about you you're looking well thank you um we had a nice little chat just now we did you know off the air on the air what's the difference i feel like sometimes we are a little bit in too much of a rush to have like a solid pre-show show um yeah, you gotta other. get those jitters out you know yeah um just gotta get those jitters out but um <laughs> i th- <laughs> I think that uh, it's it's always nice when we've got some. Oh, uh, Trent! Oh, it, it's it's far past this by the time the listener is listening to this. But Happy Valentine's Day! Oh God, I mean that's the time we are recording. Um, yes. But all of those lovebirds and uh, you single lonely people, we it, whether or not your whatever your status was on Wednesday, it's probably the same now. Unless you had a really exciting Valentine's Day. One way yeah, or seriously. Yeah, um, but happy, happy holidays. <laughs> um, this is really the dry season for holidays. You want me to get excited about St. Patrick's Day, Parth? Oh, yeah, it's a fun day. Not fun anytime day. soon. At a friend of the show, Sophia Alexis's house, um, like college house last year, uh, we would throw parties for like random, random holidays. So there was a party for St. Patrick's Day. There's a party for Valentine's Day. There was a party for... Um, you know, take your child to work day. In high school, um, we had a party once, and then you know how you can look at like the international holidays yeah. calendar, yeah. and like every day is like some holiday, ho- national hot dog day or whatever. Um, it was International Braille Day, so on all wow. the posters, we good. put we put the pro the posters in braille. Oh, that's kind of fun. But like it was printed out, so like oh. anyone who's actually blind wouldn't. So be able it to, would actually not be very helpful to anyone. They wouldn't be able to come to the event, unfortunately. Well, that seems uh, helpful. Trent, what have you been eating most recently? Uh, I feared you'd ask me this, and um, yeah, that thing we do every episode. And my backdoor solution is that I haven't eaten anything, but I was taking a shower, and so I think I've may have told Anna. Trent, you're putting a crazy helpful. image in my mind. Yep. Uh, I was in the shower, fully clothed, and then this happens. And then I'm like, you know, kind of thirsty, so I'm trying to sip some of the water. And then I guess I open my mouth too wide, and then it projectiles and hits my uvula. And mm. I have done I have done this before and actually thrown up in the shower, but luckily this morning I didn't. And was just like... <laughs> um, like a cat? Be- yeah, but beware of that part. The direct stream... You know, one second you're having a you're having a refreshing beverage, and the next you're throwing up in the shower. Yeah. What about you? This morning I had um, a classic Eggo waffle situation, but uh, what might be more interesting is not what I've had, but what I'm going to have. Um, so this I, is this has never been a thing before. Yeah, seriously. Um, I am unfortunately going to have to work this valentine's day from five to ten um and so that sort of negates any sort of valentine's day dinner plan sophia and i could have that narrows it down those are the prime valentine's hours i hear but 
In but, about half an hour to 40 minutes, Sophia and I are going to go out to an all-you-can-eat sushi place. Oh, Parth, I think you may have found, like, accidentally sidestepped into a beautiful scheduling thing where Valentine's lunch is, like, an underappreciated, you yeah. know, jam. Um, because it's probably not going to be crowded at all. That's how I feel. And um, I, it, I'm, I'm very grateful that Sophia Alexis is not someone that particularly... Uh, is like upset about the fact that we can't do dinner together. But sushi, su- what sushi at two p.m. versus sushi at six p.m. You know? Yeah, seriously. It's, yeah, just a couple, of, just a couple people eating fish. Just you know? a couple of Joes eating some raw fish. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh well, Partha, where does a couple of Joes talk about some movies? Trent, I've got just a podcast for you. What is it? Trent, you're on it. It's Craft Services, and we're queuing the intro. And it's chocolate, <laughs> and it's chocolate, <laughs> and it's chocolate, 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 and it's chocolate. That's basically what that whole, and on the chocolate, and on the chocolate. You remember more of this song than, <laughs> than, than someone here who does actually like Wonka. Well, I remember how the music, but I just put in chocolate for every word. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Give yourself some Wonka chocolate. <laughs> That's what he fucking sounds like. My mom is like, Timothy Chalamet is not a triple threat. He's a single threat. No singing, no dancing. Wow. Crushing. She's not, yeah, crushing stuff. Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film, and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on. Trent, I forgot the last word. The picture. And you also forgot the guest, who is obviously editor, um... Michael Andrews, who edited such films as Shrek 2, Shrek the Third, Megamind, and of course our film for today, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, um, which is probably one of the hardest movies you can be tasked with editing. Am I right, yeah. Parth? Yeah, no, uh, 100% correct, Trent, um, which is new for you. Um, but um, Cool. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to get a little dig in there somehow. Um, no, but Trent, you are correct. Michael Andrews, a wonderful, wonderful editor that worked on a wonderful, wonderful movie one of my favorites of the year last year, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Um, kind of, in this first part, I say that it breaks my mind having to think of how many layers upon layers of editing there must have been. And um, I have to say, I've watched the movie several times. I've now interviewed the movie's editor, and it is no less mind-breaking. Well, Parth, I don't mean to, like, be this guy, but, like, this interview is, like, pretty great. So, like, I think we should just, like, cut to the chase, you know? Like, I think through the magic of editing, but we Trent, should ooh, take, very take, some of, take some of the editing lessons we may have learned over the next half hour and instill them in these very moments. Cue the interview. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our interview with Michael Andrews. He's the editor behind such films as Shrek 2, Shrek the Third, Megamind, and our film for today, Spider-Man, Across the Spider-Verse. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, it's great to be here. 
So just to start off, um, what would you say your relationship with film was at a young age? I was always attracted to film. I was always, uh, um, I mean, there, there were two things that interested me uh, early on. I, I thought maybe I would either be a cartoonist or a filmmaker. And I strangely didn't put two and two together and turned it into animation until much later in life. But I, um, um, like when I was 15, I had a cartoon in a, in a local paper and I thought uh, I'd, I'd you know, I, I thought I'd made it at 15, and uh, I managed to uh, anger the uh, mayor and the police force because I made fun of our town and all, all the, the crazy things that happened in my hometown. Um, uh, so I veered out of that quickly. Um, but at the same time, I was making a lot of uh, uh, Super 8 movies back then. Um, I, you know, all my school projects I turned into Super 8 uh, stop motion again, going to animation again prematurely where I didn't even realize... I'd end up in that career. Um, you know, I used G.I. Joe's and Barbie dolls and then made stop motion. I made a stop motion Titanic for my history mm. class uh, as a junior in my bathtub, uh, uh, which my mother still talks about. Um, you know, I, I was always messing around and it was always like for fun. And I was always trying to make comedies, too, at the time. Um, so I was I was always very attracted to it. And then I, I, I realized I was always... Um, watching every movie I could possibly watch. And back then in my day, um, you had to like kind of book it around what came on television if you weren't going to see something in the theater. So, you know, every week I would uh, look at the TV guide and map out all the movies that I wanted to watch that week. And I was always staying up late and watching movies. And um, there was a there was a thing called the 3.30 movie that was on uh, in the afternoon. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. And... Um, I'd come home from school and I'd watch that, uh, and and it was it was a interesting program because they managed to take a movie of whatever length and fit it into uh, ninety minutes. So they would actually, you know, with commercials, that means you get about a forty-five minute movie in the end, or a sixty-minute movie at the most, and they would literally just butcher the movies. Uh, uh, so it was a, it was an interesting uh, introduction to editing to see how. Movies would be butchered to, for for time's sake. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, obviously, through making all those films in high school, you are editing. But when did you sort of realize, like, I want to, or I am an editor? Or like, <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. It took me a little while to realize it because I I I started working. Um, uh, like the first Titanic movie, I shot straight through the camera. I didn't even realize I could edit it. I, mean, mm. I, I didn't. I didn't uh, take that extra step. But then I started uh, editing beyond, after that. Um, but once I, um, you know, went through film school and I got out, I, I was doing work as a PA in productions in Chicago, and I was, um, you know, I was sort of warned against editing like people always told me you don't want to work you don't want to be an editor you don't want yeah it's you're stuck in a room all day with somebody breathing over your shoulder you don't want that and the only problem was everything i created the thing that people would comment on the most was the editing and so i was i was kind of torn because it's like well everybody keeps telling me it's terrible so i um i you know my film teachers uh you know commented on my, my editing in particular and i just sort of uh, you know, kind of rolled with that. And I, um, when I moved to Los Angeles, uh, uh, I got work with uh, two people that I knew back from when I was in college. Actually, one was my film teacher. 
and she was also the one that was telling me that my editing was, you know, you know, the, my, my, probably my best aspect of my films I made. And I, um, I was able to work with them and they were doing music videos at the time. They were doing, uh, animated music videos. Um, their names are Mike Patterson and Candace Reckinger, and they now teach at USC here. Uh, and I, I just got back together with them and went and spoke to their class just the other day. Um, so, uh, Mike is the guy who, I don't know if this might be way before your time, uh, but there was a, a video called, uh, by a band called Aha, and he was the one that actually drew it. It was the, it's a rotoscoped video, and it was very, you know, groundbreaking for the time. And Take on me. Um, so they were doing, there you go, uh, and they, um, they were doing music videos for Paul Abdul, and there was hybrid animation used where she was dancing with this cat. And, um, so I was sort of, you know, brought into the world of animation through them. And um, from there, I I ended up just crossing the street when we were in a, when the studio decided not to uh, make any more music videos because they realized animation is very expensive and it takes too long. Um, they bailed out of it, but across the street was a little studio called Spumco that was making a show called The Red and Snippy Show. And mm-hmm. um, I happened to, <laughs> my producer told me to go, go see if they wanted to buy our uh, computer equipment that we were using. <laughs> and I went over there and they said, well, do you know how to use it? And um, I said, yes. And so they hired me. And so I started doing their story reels um, for their shows. Um, and so that's how I kind of got really into editing through that. And I, uh, the moment that, to answer your question, though, the moment that I realized, well, this is probably what I should be doing is, you know, they used to do these... Um, um, sheet timings for, uh, uh, you know, back in the day in TV, they would uh, storyboard it and they would put timings on the storyboard and basically send it to Korea where it would be animated. And they they would look at it and they would animate this and go, okay, this is on for a half a second. And um, So that when I was doing the story reels, I was doing it according to those timings that the directors would give me. And then one time the director didn't have time to do it and I just took a whack at you know, editing the show myself, and he looked at it and uh, said, well, you're doing this from now on. I'm not going to, you know, why, why are we doing this? Um, so I just kept, you know, rolling from there, and I rolled into several other TV shows. Um, I went to HBO. I worked on a, a, a show based on the comic book Spawn that HBO was doing. So it was cool because I was doing, like, kind of uh, edgy, you know, almost adult stuff, uh, instead of like you know princessy disney stuff i was i was taking a much different route and i think it uh, laid a lot of groundwork for what i'm still doing today so i guess uh moving forward to today um if you could talk about how you got involved with spider-man across the spider-verse because it seems like kind of a dream gig for a lot of people it 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 definitely is and i um i was working uh on a movie at paramount uh during covid um i had i was finishing a movie um that was the third uh in the spongebob series of movies and um uh i as that one came to a close i didn't really have anything to roll on to and i was helping out on another movie that paramount was doing i can't say i was you know that enthused about the story and that movie in particular so um, I got a call from Sony um, because 
uh, Christina Steinberg is a, was the producer of both Spider-Verse movies, and I'd worked with her back at DreamWorks uh, when I was there. I was there for 20 years. Um, so she called me and said, hey, you know, our editor who had started the show had left the show. Um, they'd already been working on the movie for about a year. And um, she said, do you want to come over? And I said, give me the weekend. I'll think about it. Because um, I knew it was a hard movie. The first one was a very hard movie to make. And I, I you know, I was kind of excited about it, but I, uh, I just wanted to make sure. And I watched the first movie again. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember why I loved that movie and uh, how brilliant it was. And I also watched um, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller's both uh, both of their uh, Jump Street movies. Sure. And they're hysterically funny. And I decided immediately I wanted to work with these guys and I wanted to, you know, see if I could cut one of their movies and see how, uh, how they do it because I feel like they have a special touch of making things feel very uh, fresh and uh, innovative. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to see, I wanted to challenge myself to see if I could do that and also just kind of go along for the ride. Is there any sort of uh, mantra or whatever for how editing an animated movie is different than animating a live action movie? Yeah. That's the most common question I get. Oh. <laughs> and it's, and it's, and for some weird reason, I always struggle to answer it. Um, but the, the simplest way to answer it is, you know, um, when you think of live action, um, all, all production follows three steps, right? Pre-production, production, post-production. Um, in generally in the world of live action, they fall into the post-production category. Um, in animation, we fall into the pre-production category, we fall into the production category, and we fall into the post-production category. And the post-production category is actually the smallest part of our job. Uh, the pre-production part of it is the biggest part of our job because that's when we're building the story. Uh, so the biggest difference is we're in, we're on from the beginning and we're in deep in the trenches of story. So we're basically helping you know write the movie because we basically recreate it several times and screen it and see how that feels, and then we'll go back and we'll hack it up and rewrite and reboard and you know they they have to do it in the cheap way with storyboard. So it's all you know people drawing uh, uh, just to do it quick and inexpensively and you know because once you hit the, the the starting line of production it starts to get much more expensive in animation and so they want to avoid going you know into deep cost overruns by doing as much of the story work up front as possible and and then the challenge becomes you know as you approach that that starting line of production you're 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 like oh well, uh, this isn't quite ready to go in yet I don't know yeah but oh, we got to send it anyway and then it, it goes and then you have to kind of um, keep massaging it all the way through it's not like you know I, I was referencing TV and sending it off to you know uh, a country like Korea to have it done back in the day um, you know that's that's sort of like the mindset of like how a studio would like things to work where you just sort of like do this part. You send it to the next department. You send it to the next. It never works that way with film, and you and it shouldn't because if you want to make a great film, you got to keep working it until the bitter end, and 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 that's what you know. Phil and Chris are big believers in. They never want to give up. They always want to push it, you know, further until we have the best movie 
we you know can possibly produce. Um, so you know we we definitely have that major difference between us and live action. Otherwise, it's the same tools. It's the same you know we're sitting in the same rooms with the similar people uh, talking about the same things. So there's a, there's also a lot in common. Um, and I also feel like with all the CG work that's going on, even you know in live action, I feel like their world is actually coming closer to our world, uh, where they're they're starting earlier and earlier with previs and all of that. So you know, that's more similar to what we do. Can you explain the like pipeline or hierarchy of how footage gets handed off to you and? Uh, vice versa of like how you hand footage off just especially with this movie with the amount of sort of layers to so many of the images it kind of breaks my brain to try to reverse engineer <laughs> that process so if you could illuminate us uh, on it it breaks my brain as it happens right before my eyes very good um well you know we're you know editorials often referred to as the hub of production and you know story comes in and production goes out. Uh, but at the same time, like I was saying, the studio would prefer it to be that linear, but it's not. It's, you know, cyclical where you're you're constantly coming back to us with each department. So in the beginning of this story, we get a bunch of storyboards. We, you know, re- we record a bunch of scratch dialogue with just, we'll grab anyone. My assistants will perform as the actors and we'll just sort of make these fake shows of what, what, what it can feel like. And, and we work that to death and and once it uh, reaches a point where we think okay this scene's actually coming along pretty well we can put this in production it goes the next department is called layout um which is really kind of an old term from the 2d days but it's really meant to be like where uh everything gets set up in in camera and what characters and sets and props and angles and what the shots are actually going to look like so that's where it becomes closer to live action for me. So Layout starts sending in all of their footage, um, which is their representation of either the boards or hopefully something better than what the boards were able to give us. Um, and that's where we, you know, we we go back and forth with them a few times, like, how oh, can, can we get close-ups here? You know, I'll do a lot of little avid tricks where I'll just blow stuff up or do like kludgy little things with characters, putting things in the foreground out of focus or whatever I can do to like, give them a suggestion of what we were hoping for and then kick it back to them. Um, and they try to fix the shots. There's also a, a layer that every animated movie I've ever been on tries to do called previs, uh, which is like one step sort of ahead of layout where they try to, uh, you know, give us more options, more coverage, more footage to work from. Um, it's all great and fun when it happens, but it rarely happens <laughs> because the way these shows move, they're like, you know, runaway trains and, you know, time's ticking and they run out of time and they go, no, let's just take it straight to layout. And um, who knows? I mean, there there's new tools now, uh, like the Unreal Engine, which might open up, you know, new opportunities to create more footage more quickly. So we're hoping that that phase of production will change. Um, and then after that, it's... You know that that's the bulk of of my work prepping, you know, the shots and the scenes to get them into uh, production. Uh, once it's in production, beyond that, it's going to animation. The animators take each shot. You know, animators work on basically one shot at a time, and um, 
that stuff gets sent back to me uh, as they're working through it in dailies and um, I'm checking it in the cut to make sure everything's going smoothly and I'm able to, you know, give my two cents as to if something's kind of going off the rails or not what was intended or something, we can give them a little steerage to get them back. Um, and then um, from there, you know, and, you know, I can't provide visuals, obviously, on a podcast, but like that animation, it doesn't have all the lighting and all the textures quite yet. So the next department is lighting and effects after that. And they come back with, uh, you know, basically what is close to final shots. And I see various iterations of those, but it all keeps coming back through edit and we keep going back and looking at the scenes and we'll see like, we'll even, then we'll even discover things in lighting like, oh shoot, we have a problem because we're not really able to um, see what we need to see for the point of the scene or, you know, um, so things do arise even that late in the game. But so we're, you know, everything's coming back through us. We're, you know, monitoring every stage <laughs> of every department. Um, and, and, and it just, it just never stops, you know, and, you know, it's just spinning a lot of plates at the same time to keep, to keep it all moving forward. I'm sure like, you know, different people are working on different scenes at all times and then they're sending those for you to start piecing together. Where do you start? Do you start at the beginning? Or are they just sending you stuff randomly and you'll start at a at wherever, whatever they can give you? Does it not matter? Is there a system? <laughs> Is there a system? That's always the question. Um, I mean, it depends on what department you're talking about. Um, usually we proceed forward, like in story, they'll say, you know, like there's usually a script. Sometimes story artists don't even work from a script. Um, but uh, Phil and Chris are writers. They have a writer. They, you know, they, they like everything on the page first, but it's only a starting point, you know, like we, we definitely rewrite throughout the entire process. Um, they allow the actors to do a lot of improv and rewriting on, on the fly, even as we record. Um, um, but, you know, we, we, we steer things like as much as we can lay out, you know, we'll get the first, the first sequence that goes into production, we'll go to layout. And that's usually the one where, We've had at, at least two or three screenings, and by screening I mean we've put up the entire movie in storyboard form with full sound, sometimes with some production dialogue, sometimes with scratch dialogue, full-on sound effects, full-on temp music, make it as rich as possible. We go down into the theater here at Sony, and um, we all sit in the theater and pretend like we're watching a movie. And, uh, and then everybody, you know meets afterwards and complains about all the things they hate and that we have to try to uh, address them. Um, but we're usually able to identify, okay, that's, that's a, that scene's in a decent place. That can go into production first. Um, nine times out of 10, we're wrong. <laughs> and it ends up being one that we uh, rework to death, even deep in. Uh, like we'll discover, oh, wait, you know, the scene that comes before that is now kind of reworked and that kind of changes that scene. So we got to go back and rework that. So it's sort of, it's sort of like this funneling process where you hope you're passing on the best of to the next department. Um, uh, animation, like layout works as a sequence. They like, you know, a three minute chunk or so. Uh, they'll, 
they'll, they'll give us all those shots at one time and so that we, we're working on that entire sequence. Then animation just works in bits and pieces and then it becomes like kind of piecemeal from that point on. But it's usually like whatever, whatever section, whatever beat is, we feel the, the strongest about moves forward mm. down the line. Is there like significant restructuring? I mean, it seems like obviously there was significant restructuring that happened in the movie, but um, based on like the final product we see today, that it was so completely different in this one way um, that you were, and and it did change that like specifically story wise with this movie that you could talk about. I'd say the the initial six months to a year which was actually uh mostly before my time uh a lot of that stuff um got thrown out um there was there was a general structure that's very similar um there was um there was additional there was an additional villain there was uh there was a spot was not the only villain he was actually like the better of the like the, the nicer of the two villains um, so there were, there were definitely different things going on back then. Um, but I would say like from, from the first script I read it, it was generally there, like the bones were there and it was always like, you know, heading in this direction and we knew, you know, what miles journey needed to be. And, um, we, you know, we always steered towards that. We reworked everything, you know, as much as we possibly could uh, throughout. Uh, so, I mean, if you if you if you look at like the the beginning scenes from like when I first got on to the final product, you go, okay, that's like sort of what it is, but you know, definitely not as good. And uh, um, you know, thank God they worked it. Um, but yeah, you'd, you'd uh, definitely, um, you'd, you'd see all the, the DNA. It's all there, you know, like, cause this was the story that was going to be told. Um, one of the, one of the big changes we had to make was cutting the movie in two. Was that not the case when you signed on to the movie? No, when I signed on, uh, we were, we were doing one movie mm. and it was, um, it was big. Like, uh, Clearly, like they, sh- you know, there there was a version of the first act when I first arrived, and then when I, and that's all they would they they showed me, and then I, I took the job and I came on and I started looking at the rest of the movie and I was like, oh dear God, how are we going to do this? This is never going to fit. Um, so as we built that out, we discovered we had about a three hour movie on our hands, and and the last the third act was kind of carded in a lot of places, you know, where we'd even just put text on the screen and say, this is what happens here because we didn't have the materials yet. So that's even like, you know, we're sort of not, not we're underestimating the length of time and, and it was still about three hours. So we reached a point where it was, you know, something had to break. It was just, there was just no way we could pull off all the story that we were trying to tell in this one movie. And, and then it became like, oh, well, where do we split it? Um, and and that's when we, you know, decided that was it, was it was a good scene to get to, you know, Aaron and the other Miles character and um, let them face off and then leave that as a as a cliffhanger, uh, uh, which we 
at one point we even ended the movie that way uh, with them facing off and we um we, we had uh let's say a fairly negative reaction from a preview audience that uh, didn't wasn't happy with that result so uh we added a a, a brighter ending to it let's say with uh, like the thought of gwen coming to rescue and gather the team and and miles actually you know showing that he's about to do something and, um that that became uh like something that uh i was so happy we did because you know we turned it over to daniel pemberton and he did such an incredible score for that ending that it, it just it, i feel like it saved the film right then and there Wow, what an interview. Wow. What an interview. But like I'm I I'm left feeling a little unfulfilled. Like it felt like it just ended like halfway through. But it's good because I need like a break for like six, seven days, and then I would be ready for to hear the next part. As much as I love Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, it's a part one of two. And they're gonna make exactly. us wait for exactly. like maybe a year. Or something like that. Like they're they're making us wait a long time, but we here we've split this interview into two parts. And fellas, you you only have to wait one week. But Parth, Parth, the best the best things in life are worth waiting for. That's right, guys. Uh, part two of our interview with editor Michael Andrews comes out next week. We talk about some more specific scenes. He talks about his favorite movie of the year. And Trent, uh, I don't know if I told you this, but. Um, mm. He right after the interview, he emailed me and mm, gave gave the last great movie he watched. Um, which, he which gave was? an addendum. Well, Trent, that's a that's a next week thing. Yeah, we'll, we'll worry about that then. Sorry, getting ahead of myself. Just so excited, so excited. Get away! Yeah. Um. Well, like that. if if you guys are excited, then I don't know. Uh, then you Trent, can go was, ahead. You're and you're the transition king. That was. And, and then you, go you were the transition and, peasant just then. And take that excitement. Take that excitement. And you're going to want to go ahead and follow us on Instagram or Twitter. Those mm. are our two social medias. Um, and then after you do that, you're going to want to go ahead and listen to us wherever it's most convenient for you, which would be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. You're like a transition podcast. steed, I guess, at this point. Uh, I'm like a transition jester. I'm mm, just I'm just yeah. here to am- amuse the king. You're the wonder- Joker, baby. I wonder who the king is. Mm. Well, guys, that was a great episode. I'm glad we all went through this together. Yep. I feel like we're all stronger because of it. And um, I can't wait to see you guys next week. I can't wait to see these kids grow up, Parth. These yeah. listeners. You know, it just like... You start a film podcast, you watch Star Wars The Force Awakens a few years oh, go by, God. and got hair in places Trent. you didn't know about. Well, I mean, so that may have happened to some of us. Um, yeah, Parth, I had someone, uh, a film student, uh, but uh, a someone not in our immediate circle come up to me and said, hey, I had a question for you. Oh, it's God. about the It's about the podcast. And I was like okay and they said i listened to both parts of the iron claw interview and now where's the discussion wow and i was like so surprising i was like thank you for that i was like you're you're making it worthwhile 
disappointed by the absence of an Iron Claw discussion. <laughs> now that's a first. Um, yeah, I, I guess if you're a longtime listener but not a consistent listener and are used to our usual um, rhythm Breakdown. of of interview followed by discussion, we are nixing discussions for the foreseeable future. Um, we just think that the interviews are kind of what people are here for. Um, but who knows? Apparently, yeah. someone, one, not, one, one someone dude. from Rutgers, Mason Gross, School of the Arts, film department, the, the, who I'm not really major. acquainted with, that's not really our no, friend. You, you know who they are, but they're in the outer circle. But maybe they're listening to this because apparently they love the Iron Claw so much. Yeah, seriously. Well, I mean, I have no idea who this person is. So they, I, I could know. But Charm, why don't you just tell me and I'll bleep it out. I was just going to tell you off the air, but it's... Oh, wow. That's surprising. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we've been nixing discussions. Um, but no one has seemed to care. Least of all the listenership, and I can tell because... Our listenership has not gone down. Cool. Not that there's much room. <laughs> <laughs> but Trent, it'll be four years this year. Wow. That's yeah. that's my thoughts on that. See you next week. Next week.